providing real solutions for real business challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, Season 4. Conversations with professionals across the country, exploring business topics and empowering personal growth in real estate, financial services, and the title insurance industry. Well, thanks everyone for joining us here today on another installment of FNF Unplugged. And this is a real sort of special edition of FNF Unplugged in that we are having two guests today. And these two guests have been on FNF Unplugged in recent weeks. Our guests are Tim Hooper. Tim is Vice President of Training and Technology for the Virginia, Maryland, and DC region of agency at FNF. Tim joined us just a few weeks ago. And Ethan Pausner. And Ethan has joined us a few times. He is the Vice President of Technology and Marketing Development for Agency at FNF. And we talked about these uh, various things, and it seemed to just make sense that from Tim's installment on FNF Unplugged and Ethan's installments, it's like, well, these guys are talking about really the same thing, different perspectives, different approach. And I don't say approaches, but approach to the same uh, topic. And the underlying topic, and whether you're an FNF agent or you simply are in any line of business, uh, you're selling widgets or uh, pies door to door, it works sort of the same way as yeah. to sales and technology as to effectiveness. And, and I'm going to kick it off here with uh, Tim, because we, we sort of have subtitled this, uh, you know, using drama and data to uh, develop a strategy. And, and Tim, if you could kick it off for us here, and especially as to drama, because uh, as we've discussed, uh, there's a certain amount of drama that's good, and there's a certain amount of drama that may not be so good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's good to be back with you, Chuck and uh, Ethan. I probably can recognize this pretty well because of my own tendency <laughs> to uh, have the drama that can derail sales and I think in Simon Sinek's words, you know, we're all just great big balls of human emotion, right? Great big messy balls of human emotion. And I, and I think what makes salespeople so great is that they have so big hearts and they're very resilient. They can survive a lot of rejection, a lot of no, or just what I call crickets. Some people think it's rejection. It's just crickets. They haven't made traction with somebody yet. And so I think with that, you can't force salespeople to be robotic and you don't want to take the emotion out of it. I think every great sales manager, sales leader will give their people that bandwidth to decompress, especially after maybe say a big event or several weeks. I know several of us here just got off the road for a few weeks, right? You have a lot of activity. You have a lot of, and you can get happier. Things sound good, but it's dialing that emotion back a bit to say, okay, how are we going to now go take this? Go look at the numbers, go look at how we can actually advance this forward and then do the real work, which is the follow up and the follow up with intention. When I distill drama that derails sales down, it really comes down to three things. It's inconsistency and then reactivity and lack of accountability. Those three things. I mean, every other bit of drama is, I mean, emotion, charismatic energy, passion about the product, the way your company is different. I mean, that's all great. And then like rehumanizing our connection and our marketing, like putting some dramatization into that, I think is a powerful thing. But I think that the drama that derails sales is we're inconsistent. You know, the follow-up doesn't happen or we're very reactive. We're late to the game. We don't know where our client is going and we find out we're the last to know. We're very reactive. And then uh, the lack of accountability where 
you just the team is not operating in a good rhythm. That's where I go with it. But then again, you know, I meet Ethan and it's like, wow, I mean, this guy is like he is refined and has this process. The beauty of working with Tim is that I tend to focus on the, I'm going to call the scientific portion of what he's describing. Concrete tools you can use easily to track things. And by being able to measure and track things, you can get some concrete reinforcement documentable of success. Where Tim has a very complimentary, if not turbocharging approach, is that he focuses on an angle I just don't touch, which is the emotional part, the excitement of the sales process, the excitement of the planning, the excitement of the chase. So I think together we have an amazing potential to really reach and increase the success of people we work with, customers we work with. Where is this sort of crossroads between, you know, as Tim, as you're describing, you know, the charismatic end of sales and then, you know, where is the crossroads between that and the systemic side of uh, sales management? Yeah, I think that, and Ethan, thank you for that. I do know that the heart, the emotion, the excitement, the, what I call the energy, it has to be there. Statistic, Harvard Business Review, happy people, happy salespeople will outsell their competition by 37%. People buy people. And so you definitely have to have that. The problem I think that a lot of sales leaders face is, is the how to build a system. What processes are the most impactful and should absolutely be a must in their business development? Because here's the thing, you can have one shining star, but how do you help all of your team become those shining stars? How do you cross train? How do you have a rhythm of sales? What I like to call round tables. How do you compound? John Maxwell says addition is great. Multiplication is better. How do you multiply the activities that really drive the bottom line? So if I can make a movie analogy, because I think if you're a sales manager and you've never watched, um, I think it was uh, Moneyball with um, Brad Pitt. Watch that from a sales perspective, and I think that I think uh, Ethan's the Billy Bean. Ethan's the guy who can who can come in and say, you know, I think the conventional wisdom's all wrong, and we can outsmart the rich clubs by doing it different and looking for the people that you never thought on your team could do what they actually could do for your sales and marketing. So anyway, I'll I'll turn it over to Ethan, but I think it's the, you have to have the scientific or else you will be a drama driven team. And while some drama on the emotion is good, you cannot grow consistently. You will not grow and you can't scale if you have a couple of superstars who are, who really become the biggest bottlenecks on the team. So I'll turn it to Ethan because you have to have the scientific approach as well. Right. So the scientific approach is, uh, I'd say, a very generous description. It's really the word you used, Tim, was systematic. When you be systematic about succeeding in growing your business, first, you have to have an accurate measurement of where you are. And in the, I'd say, the customer relationship business, people have expectations based on emotions and some past history of how important certain customers are. And the systematic approach is that I've figured out a way to convert the standard or typical lists 
of orders and lists of customers that are generated by title production software into a simple scorecard that gives you a true picture of where you're starting from. Mm. And then by following the system, which is basically updating it monthly, you discover a whole treasure trove of information. Just like if you're hiking in the woods without mm-hmm. a compass, you know, you don't know quite where you're going. You have an idea, but you don't know where you're going. With the compass, you can quickly figure out where you're deviating off course. The tool I'm talking about, I mean, it's it basically based in Excel, allows a organization, an organization that wants to improve sales, to have a consistent way of measuring success and progress. The important thing is progress. That's mm-hmm. how you build the emotion. What I say is there's always inertia when you start. And then once you start demonstrating success, it starts feeding on itself. Yeah. I love the word they're demonstrating success, right? The demonstration of success, mm-hmm. because if you can demonstrate it, you can multiply it. And when you say, man, everyone needs to be like Joe or everyone needs to be like Sue, like, okay, what does that mean? Like, how? How do you de- I love the word demonstration, but I, I agree. Accurate measurement. And Ethan, I've been lucky enough to see kind of behind the curtain a little bit of how you do what you do. And it, it, it blows my mind because what we find is the agents, you know, consulting with you is, is like, wow, we're spending, we're spending a lot of time on the wrong people. We had it all wrong. So I think it's, um, I think a lot of times we have a good gut about who our best clients are. I think the biggest thing I've seen is the opportunity costs and the the lost opportunities that your data exposes for a title company in their drive for sales, the systemization of sales and growth. It's like, wow, we have a whole subset of clients that we've not even focused on that we can nurture and bring into more of a loyalty and more of a um, earning more of their wallet share. So I think that that's really where, how do you get the accurate measurement of where you are? I love that you said that. And then the initial inertia and then how do you demonstrate that you're successful so because i think then you can go repeat and until you demonstrate it you're not gonna be able to repeat it so i love that you say that i would say this drama you're always gonna have we're human but if you don't have data you're screwed (laughs) so data in my mind if you were to sum this correlation between what we do up is data and i you can put ethan there ethan uh, is greater than put the greater than symbol drama or attempts <laughs> just, yeah. i uh you know. you know i i look at it the other way around which is that <laughs> just having the data the data is great but you need the emotion yeah. to not drama you need the emotion to do the mm-hmm. hard work that creates the data and so yeah. the beauty of when tim and i work together is that it's not one or the other it's both and they feed off of each other and it accelerates results. Yeah. I love that. And I think the word there, the emotion, a lot of people will use the word energy. I love energy. And, you know, I wrote my book, Got Energy. And when I dove in, a lot of people were like, man, you're the energy guy. I was like, wow, how can I bottle this up? And I dove into the word energy and, you know, I was thinking charismatic, dynamic, enthusiastic. And I read the, I read the definition in the dictionary. And I basically decided to give up the book writing project because it was boring. It said the capacity to do work. And in scientific terms, 
work is result, not just busy work, like the capacity to achieve a certain result. That's the definition of energy. And then I decided, wait a minute, I am going to crack the code here and write this book because I realized I was very dramatic in my life. I was very unfocused. I was marching to a lot of my clients' drums, showing up to everything because I was so worried about them not being happy or pleased with me. And so, and I think as sales professionals, we can overwork, and I don't mean this in a wrong sense of the term, I think we can spend too much time with the wrong people because we're so afraid of losing their business when instead, if we would back up and systematize a plan and really identify our KPIs, our high value activities, what actually drives value in the relationship, then we can let the competitors go to all the ritzy clubs and do all the whining and dining. And I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for some whining and dining. But what I am saying is, I think a lot of real valuable stuff, it just falls by the wayside because we're so worried about losing the attention or the love of somebody. In sales, it's really the inverse. It's sometimes being a little bit more absent makes you more attractive when, and I say a huge underline underneath the word when, when you have significant value that's differentiated in the marketplace. That's what your customers want. And so the the scientific approach, the energy, if you will, the capacity to deliver results is really what we have to focus on. And you talk about being able to demonstrate success, man, we can start pointing to, I mean, huge shifts in business, seismic shifts in business. When you are so radically obsessed about the success of your client, they have to have you. And by the way, if you're listening, you're like, I, I just, I'm not the most charismatic salesperson. This right here is the greatest equalizer. This right here is what I call VP, valuable persistence. If you will just hyper-focus on value through a customer lens, does it really bring them value? That's the greatest equalizer. You don't have to be the most charismatic. You don't need to be the most dramatic. You need to be the most energized. Capacity to deliver results. So Chuck, let me uh, preempt something you would say at some point in this podcast, which, which is, well, what practical takeaways can someone listening to this podcast have? And I would say the first thing you could do is just using Excel, even in a somewhat limited way, take a closer look at running some order reports, I say for the last year, and start organizing the data you know, by the referral source. We hope you track who the referral source is, but it, it may be the listing broker or the selling broker, whatever. Track that. And what you're going to discover is if you start not just counting up orders, but um, kind of organizing it by month, you will start to see that you have several, let's say three to four different categories of customers. You know, obviously regular customers, irregular customers, customers who were there by accident. I mean, they were dragged into the deal. Uh, what is it called? Non-directing. And then customers who were directing. Yeah. Then you can start prioritizing your energy. How are we going to spend our energy? But again, the takeaway is just organize your data in, in these four ways. Yeah, obviously, by time, by quantity, and then whether they are directing or non-directing. And make a little simple matrix, and you don't have to have it super scientific, but it just gives you a way to start. You will discover as a fringe benefit of all that that you have many more customers than you realize who you don't really know why they're there. They just mm. use you. Yeah. I have one customer I work with. I think they have 400 
customers who they have no idea why the customers are using them. They're assuming it's because of the uh, reputation that these people, they do one or two deals a year. It's who knows? Maybe they find them on the Internet, but it's something that needs to be addressed. Is it the highest priority? But it's a great training exercise or great project for a, someone in your agency or someone in your business who wants to dabble in and, and try to develop a marketing program to address this massive group of people who you have no idea why they're there. Yeah. If I can just you know, sort of uh, interject an idea and, and listening to you guys, there's two humans involved in regard to sales and sales management. There's the sales manager and then there's the salesperson. One of my uh, favorite people from business is actually an uh, industrial designer guy named Bruce Mao, who created something called an incomplete manifesto for growth. And he called it an incomplete manifesto because he said it's never going to be complete. But one of his tenets is that organization equals liberty. And he points out the world famous architect, Frank Gehry. And it's like, why is it that people let Frank Gehry design the buildings that he wants to design? And the reason is, he comes in on budget. Hmm. And that's always something when you're in you know, conversation and you're working with your salespeople, as I have as an agent and as a manager uh, for an underwriter, is that when you're talking about organization, sometimes I certainly want to hear what you all have to say about it because uh, you deal with salespeople far more than I do. But there's a little drop of suspicion that the organization that's being imposed upon them may not be for their benefit. How do you overcome, I and mean, when you have those conversations, what do you say to those salespeople that know this is how things can move forward? That's a great question. I'll, yeah. I'll let Ethan take it. I'll circle back. It's a great question and boils down, in my opinion, to whether the system of measurement is, is being incorporated as a punitive measure or as a tool to help everyone succeed the lip services that, well, of course, we're, you know, using this system to help you succeed. But the reality is that you have to have systems around the data, whether it's training or uh, budget. The best way to convince somebody that you're not there to micromanage, but that you're there to support the efforts is that you have other complementary things going on at the same time. You don't just say, here's a new system, go out and sell. It's, Here's a new system we're going to use. These are the measurements we're going to make. And here's how we're going to leverage those measurements. We're going yep. to have additional training. We're going to have uh, weekly meetings and so on. And Tim, you want to run from there because you do a better job about the emotional part of selling than I do. Well, I love the question, Chuck. And I, and I do think that there has to be a, an understanding and a mutual respect for the role of a sales professional, a sales killer, whatever you want to call it, like sales rock star and a sales manager. And also a, I think an understanding and acceptance that one is not the other. Because I think sometimes sales managers want a sales rock star to be them. And I think a sales rock star wants a sales manager sometimes to be them and to understand. <laughs> I found the best yin and yang are, they're kind of polar opposites, but there's a mutual respect. So for instance, if you're not using a CRM today, if you're not using a tool, if you're not using some form of, and I like to look at a CRM as a measurement tool, right? A measurement tool is able to go and say, okay, we converted them, but how many touches did it take to convert? Most title companies I work with, they can't answer that question. They don't know because there was no tracking. 
So if you're not using a CRM and you're looking to invest in pulling a CRM, which I highly recommend you do, I think first and foremost, to get your sales team together and generate some conversation around a CRM is huge because to get engagement and buy-in up front, and I'm not looking for, you know, a lot of times the, well, I want everyone to be happy with it. That doesn't need to happen, but they absolutely need to trust you and to trust why you're doing this. And to generate that trust starts with, you know, having conversations and generating buy-in. Now, I will also say before you go leverage any CRM or before, and Ethan, I like the word punitive because sometimes salespeople will see a CRM as punitive or micromanaging. And before you even do that, I would say, I would ask any sales leader, sales manager, are you having one-on-ones with each of your sales folks? Are you having one-on-ones with them? Are there already accountability metrics in place where you're sitting down and just asking certain questions? Because here's the thing, if you do, those one-on-ones a lot of times will revolve around, and if you're asking the questions, I mean, several questions I ask, and I like, Ethan, you said practical earlier, so I'll get ahead of Chuck's practicality here that he's going to absolutely drive for with this. And like, these are questions that I recommend a sales leader ask. Like, how much time have you been able to spend this week on new business generation? We find that that's like oftentimes under two hours for a title agency salesperson. Think about that. And then, hey, who in your pipeline is about to move forward with you? Who are the targets you're laser focused on moving forward with in the next 30 to 90 days? What are the steps in your sales sequence? And then what could be added or tweaked? And then how many times are you putting your face in front of your market each month? And then does what you're saying when you do put your face in front of them matter? And then what have your top 10 clients asked you about or asked you for recently? If you look at all those questions, all of those could be answered within a CRM. So if you just kind of put the emphasis on consistent accountability, which is a one-on-one with your people. Now the CRM is just a leveraged way when you meet with them to be more effective and more efficient with everyone's time, because now you can generate reports around each one of those questions. And if you look at those questions, they all matter. They matter greatly. Your time, who you're focused on, your activities, are we in a high value posture with the right people? And CRM should answer that. And the problem is, A lot of people roll out a CRM that adds five steps to any salesperson's day or time. You have to look at a CRM as we have to be able to take steps away, make this really beneficial for them. So at the end of the day, if done correctly, and and I help teams roll out CRM all the time, the salespeople should be the most excited about a CRM. Unfortunately, it's usually the other way around. So but but I'll end there. I think there's some practical ways, but you have to start with one-on-one accountability. And then the CRM should just be like a, a helper to make that more effective and efficient. And that works beautifully in conjunction with what I call the customer tracking scorecard, because that simplifies, we do the work, but it simplifies the ability to track current business to what's going on with the activity, the sales activities, you know, within 30 days, there's a real connection. I think that we could have this conversation (laughs) for three hours, frankly, because uh, there's so much to discuss. And we're going to come around and do this again here in a couple of months, because uh, as we all know, we are in a challenging and challenged market. We're seeing a lot of dynamics change. The realty model may be under great pressure to have some very significant systemic changes about how realty works in the upcoming months. And of course, uh, we know that there's nothing for sale. 
and therefore uh, even with high rates rate as i learned a long time ago demand uh, drives housing rates only determine how big a house you buy so these are yeah. all going to be challenges as you move forward but I just want to thank you both again here today for spending this time, but but we're going to do this again. And one thing which we haven't even had a chance to talk about, obviously, because there's so much to discuss, but small agents. I know that, Tim, especially in your region, an awful lot of our title agents are five, six, seven people. But yeah. all these things just, you know, in sort of a final statement from each of you, these things all apply even in those small entities as well if the owner operator is both sales and sales manager isn't that correct yes it's actually even more important because you have if the smaller your staff the the more limited your available energy is to achieve the sales goals whether prospecting and increasing wallet share or a deal flow from your existing customers so you have to be more focused and that's where having a uh, for example, the customer tracking scorecard would very much help that. Yeah, I agree. In closing, the measurement is important. Data packaged with the energy, the capacity to go achieve a result is so key. And I liked, Ethan, that you said the customer tracking scorecard, that's the business that's in the door. And to be able to now look back into the activity in the CRM and tie the two together, now you've got something very, very powerful. So, But the owner-operator, You've got to know who to go spend that limited amount of time with and on, and then also look for those possible referrals or touchbacks. And I'll also say this, the smaller the agency, the more involved we should work to make the whole team, and I don't mean this in a make people salespeople, but the whole team can touch people differently and work in unison to deliver such a delightful experience so that the receptionist is also on the sales team. Right. So the smaller the company, mm -hmm. the more engaged everybody should be in the process. As someone I used to work with yeah. used to say, if there's a phone on your desk, you're in sales. <laughs> That's um, great. So, uh, But again, I want to thank you both here today. But yeah, we're going to yeah. come back to this because, say, as we go, especially into this coming winter, who knows what this market's going to be like. Tim and Ethan, thank you so much for uh, being here today on uh, this installment of FNF Unplugged. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And thanks for everyone for listening and hope you all have a great and profitable day. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or any endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed in this podcast.